as you know, we're going through the book of Luke, and today we are um, starting with Luke chapter 8, verse 16, and Lord willing, we will go through verse 39. Now, it's a lot of verses, so we may cut it shorter than that. Obviously, it's up to the Lord what he wants us to accomplish, and I don't want to keep you here all day, um, but uh, we'll see what the Lord does. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Luke chapter 8, verse 16. Now, we talked about, uh, in the end of last time, we talked about how God's message goes for. And different people have different reactions to it. But everyone is accountable for the reaction that they will have to it. And now Jesus is going to get a little more specific about what we as believers should do with his word. And I'm just going to read for our first point here. Um, Luke chapter 8 verses 16 to 21. Um, and if you're taking notes, I kind of just uh, titled this section, Jesus Continued Teaching and Builds the Disciples' Faith. So we're going to see about that in a couple different areas. And the first point being, Jesus um, talking about the importance of faith and its impact on others. <clears throat> and this is Luke 8, 16-21. No man... When he hath lighted a candle, covereth it with a vessel, or putteth it under a bed, but setteth it on a candlestick, that they which enter may see the light. For nothing is secret that shall not be made manifest, neither anything hid that shall not be known and come abroad. Take heed, therefore, how ye hear, for whosoever hath, to him shall it be given, and whosoever hath not, to him shall be taken away, even that he seemeth to have. Then cometh his mother and his brethren, and could not come to him for the press. And it was told to him by certain, uh, which, which said, Thy mother and thy brethren stand without, desiring to see thee. And he answered and said unto them, My mother and my brethren are those which hear the word of God and do it. Let's open in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, as we uh, study uh, this passage and as we continue on through it, we pray for your wisdom and your guidance. We pray that your Holy Spirit would be present here, that you would take out any of me that comes forth and that it would be you, um, and that you would make the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart to be acceptable unto you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so... Um, Jesus is talking about, especially back in those days, because they didn't have electricity, they would, uh, in order to light their house, they would put a candle on a candlestick so that everybody could see it. Um, theoretically, the higher uh, a light was located, the more light it could give out. So he says, you put it on a candlestick so that everyone who 
sees it can benefit from the light. And then he says something very um, sobering and interesting. Um, very, very sobering for those especially that don't know the Lord. But also very heartening for those of us who do. For nothing is secret that shall not be made manifest, neither anything hid that shall not be made known and come abroad. Now we can look at that in two ways. Obviously, if there's um, sin in our lives, God is going to deal with us on it. But there's also this aspect of, Jesus said, when you go to do your alms, don't do them before men, but do it in secret. When you pray, pray in secret, and the Lord who sees you will reward you openly. So I think he, he is talking about some negative manifestations, but he's also talking to the believer and saying that we will be rewarded if we continue to do good, even if we are not acknowledged for doing good. And I don't know about you, but I have struggled with pride in my life. And so my human tendency is when I do something, I want to make sure that it gets acknowledged. Sometimes I will purposely do things anonymously because I will realize that I need to work on that and not needing to deserve the credit. It's been said by someone fairly famous, I forget who it is at this point, but it's some fairly famous historical figure in America who said, it is amazing what people, what can, it is amazing what can be accomplished when people aren't worried about credit. You know, one of, the, one of the reasons why things often don't get accomplished the way they should is that when we do things, we do things because we want credit. And that was a, a tendency of the, the Pharisees. They wanted credit. They, they gave the long prayers. They sat in the highest seat. And... Uh, Jesus is saying, both good and bad, everything will be brought out into the open. The difference for us as believers is that if we have sinned and Jesus has died for us and we have accepted that sacrifice, yes, those bad things will be burned up, but we will not pay for them because they're already paid for. Praise be to God. And then I think it's really interesting in verse 18 when he says, Take heed therefore how you hear, for whosoever hath, to him shall be given, and whosoever hath not, from him shall be taken, even that which he seemeth to have. When God gives us a talent or a burden for something, we have a responsibility to use it correctly. When I get up here, and speak from the pulpit, my job is not just to tell you what you want to hear or what I want to preach. My job is to preach the Word of God and to do so without apology. I've said before, there are certain passages that if I was thinking about it from a human perspective, I would say, rip it out of the Bible. I don't want to preach it. I don't want to think about it. And that's what a lot of people in our modern church say. Because they, they say that God is love. 
And so we shouldn't talk about the wrath of God. We shouldn't talk about the anger of God because God is love. But you know what? You can't understand the love of God for you unless you understand the judgment that you are under that he delivered you from. God is love. But you know what? His love drove him to the cross not just as an act of love, not just as an ultimate example of love to us, but because we needed the cross to gain heaven. Because he was the only one who was worthy to die for us. And then, in verse 19, it says, Then came to him his mother and his brethren, and could not come to him for the press. And it was told to him by certain which said, Thy mother and thy brother stand without, desiring to see thee. And he answered and said unto them, My mother and my brethren are those who hear the word of God and do it. Now, I don't know about you, but there are certain writers that I appreciate who, who do certain pieces of biblical fiction. Now, you have to be careful because you don't ever want to replace a, a fictional narrative with the Bible itself. But I think that sometimes those biblical fictions can give us some insight into what might have been going through these human people's minds about dealing with with uh, Jesus Christ being in their family. It's interesting to think about the humanity of Mary, how even though she knew that Jesus was the Savior, she didn't fully understand the ramifications of what that meant for a long time to come. I think about when Jesus was a baby, and she comes into the temple, and this old man named Simeon, first he says, can I hold your baby? Um, I don't know about you, but generally, um, my mom didn't just let strangers hold her babies. That's just not something that most people do. At least as a starting point to a conversation. But they had some sense that Simeon was a, a godly man. He might have even been known in those circles. We don't know that for sure. But he had some, they had some sense that Simeon was godly. And then Simeon goes on and says this, this baby is set to cause the rising and falling of many in Israel. And then he turns to Mary and he says these words and a sword will pierce your soul also. And I often think when I read that passage where Mary is at the foot of the cross with the Apostle John, I often think that those words must have been going through her mind as she's watching her firstborn son die on the cross. And I think perhaps that one of these times when she begins to realize that he's not going to come back, that his ministry is elsewhere, is when she comes to see him and they say, your mother and your brothers are outside, and he says, my mother and my brothers are those who do the will of God. And in Hebrews it says that we are fathers of Jesus Christ. 
and how exciting that is. One of my favorite praise uh, songs goes like, uh, is as the deer. And one of the verses says, you are my friend and you are my brother even though you are a king. I love you more than any other, so much more than anything. And what a privilege it is to not only be called the friend of God, but to be a joint heir with him. To be a joint heir with Jesus. What a privilege. And I also think that these words are significant. It says, who are his mother and his brother? Those who hear the word of God and do it. You know, it's pretty cool in this culture in which we live today to call yourself a Christian. To say, I'm a Christian. They say perhaps 85% of America considers themselves Christian. And I read an article that, that said that the incoming Congress for the United States identifies themselves as around 83% Christian. And in certain ways, I'm heartened to hear that. They're already starting to, to do some things that are at least giving a little bit of hope. They introduced a bill in the last few weeks called the Something called like the Infant Pain Awareness Act, which basically says that by 20 weeks gestation, we know that a baby can feel pain and therefore should not be allowed to be killed. Now, I believe that life begins at conception and should never be allowed to be ended. But I also believe that there's cause for hope when people are looking in the right direction. We need to be praying for our leaders as they assume their places of responsibility within our country, that they would turn to God, that they would humble themselves, that they would be examples of what it means to not just say that they're Christians to get elected, but to live like Christians and to make a difference in this world. The Bible says in Acts that the disciples turned the world upside down for Jesus Christ. And they were not specifically men of influence. And yet they influenced a great number of people, and we still read about them today. Because they were willing to do what they were asked to do by God. If we could look at John chapter 15, verse 2. John 15, verse 2, just by way of cross-reference. For this first point.
Somebody can read that. So we're just we're just underscoring this important point that if we are following Jesus Christ, He's gonna put us through trials so that His glory can be made manifest. If you if you are listening to a testimony whether it be in church or on the radio, which ones speak to you? Is it about the ones who went through life and never hit any bumps and seemed to have everything going right and praise be to God? No. At least for me. It's the ones who are going through life and everything seems to be going okay. And then they hit major bumps. Like perhaps a family that's excited about the birth of their firstborn son. Nothing is, seems to be wrong. They've had all the pre-appointments. Nothing seems to be wrong. And the day he's born, he's born without arms, And his parents don't know what to do. They're devastated. But they decide in that moment that they're going to trust God and believe God that God had a plan. And today that man, Nick Vujicic, goes around the world preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. He has a beautiful wife and a one-year-old son <clears throat> he was the first person, I believe, in all of Australia to be mainstreamed into the public school system. He did more than most people with four healthy limbs. He still does. And when people say that, and they scratch their heads and they wonder how it happened, he points them to Jesus Christ. And says, with Jesus Christ, you can do anything that he wants you to do. That's the type of God that we serve. Then in our second point here, Jesus shows power over nature. Luke 8, 22 25. Now it came to pass on a certain day that he went into a ship with his disciples and he said unto them, Let us go over to the other side of the lake. And they launched forth. But as they sailed, he fell asleep. And there came down a storm of wind on the lake. And they were filled with water and they were in jeopardy.
And they came to pass. And they came to him and awoke him, saying, Master, we perish. Then he arose and rebuked the wind and the raging of the water, and they ceased, and there was a calm. And he said unto them, Where is your faith? And they, being afraid, wondered, saying to one another, What manner of man is this? For he commandeth even the winds and the water, and they obey him. It's significant to me that these disciples went to get God, went to get Jesus. There's a and he is sleeping. And they go to get Jesus and they wake him up and they say, Master, we're dying. We're going to die. And it's significant to me because these men were seasoned fishermen. They'd been out on the water many times. They knew how to weather a storm. Or, oh, uh, you know, many a storm. This one must have been a big storm. I also find it interesting that he says to them, after he calms the storm, where is your faith? Because in a sense, I feel like they were sort of exercising faith by going to get him, knowing that he could solve their problem. And yet, he was saying to them, I know your hearts, I know that you don't have the faith that you needed to have. But nonetheless, even though they are reacting from their finite ability to understand he still is gracious to them and he speaks to the wind and the waves and they obey him and the disciples say what manner of man is this let's look at that real quick Proverbs chapter 30 Proverbs chapter 30. And I had verse 4. Proverbs 30, verse 4. Who hath ascended into heaven or descended? Who hath gathered the wind in his fists? Who hath bound the waters in a garment? Who hath established all the ends of the earth? What is his name? And what is his son's name? If thou canst tell. You see, the wind and the waves obeyed Jesus because he was there when they were created. When you create something, and, and as, a, as a content creator, I know this now, when I create a podcast or when I write something else on my blog or whatever, I have full control of what happens to that content. I can release it where I want to release it. I can give it away free. I can charge for it. I can do whatever I want with it because it's my creation. 
And Jesus is exercising this ability over something infinitely greater than anything I could create. And he's saying, I have the power because I created it. And he's challenging the disciples. George Mueller said this about faith. He said, Faith does not operate in the realm of the possible. There is no glory for God in that which is humanly possible. Faith begins where man's power ends. It's a good reminder to me. Faith begins where man's power ends. Then we go into this story of Jesus showing authority and power over demons. Luke 8, 26. And they arrived at the country of the Gadarenes, which is over against Galilee. And he went forth to land. And when he went forth to land, there met him out of the city a certain man which had devils long time. And where no clothes were no clothes, neither abode in any house but in the tombs. When he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell down before him, and with a loud voice said, What have I to do with thee, Jesus, thou Son of God? Most high, I beseech thee, torment me not. For he had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man, for oft times it caught him, and he was kept bound with chains and in fetters, and he brake the bands, and was driven of the devil into the wilderness. And Jesus asked him, saying, What is thy name? And he said, Legion, because many devils were entered into him. And he besought him that he would not command them to go into the deep. And there, and there was a herd of many swine feeding on the mountain, and they besought him that he would suffer them to enter into them, and he suffered them. Then the devils went out of the man, and entered into the swine, and the herd ran violently down a steep place into the lake and were choked. When they were fed, they, when, they, when, they, when they that fed them saw what was done, they fled and went, into the, went in and told it to the city and the country. Then they went out to see what was done and came to Jesus and found the man out of whom the devils were departed, sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. They also which saw it told them by which means he was possessed of the devils was healed. Then the whole multitude of the country of the Gadarenes round about besought them to depart from them for they were taken with great fear and he went back up to the ship and he went up into the ship and returned back again. Now the man of whom the devils were departed besought him that he might be with him. But Jesus said unto him, Return to thine own house, and show how great things God hath done unto thee. And he went his way and published throughout the whole city how great things God had done unto him. So Jesus comes over to the Gadarenes. From a human perspective, we would say, well, he already calmed the sea. 
from a human perspective, we would say he's already done some great work today. If it, if it were me not being God, I might have even said, I, I did my good, good work for the day. I'm, I'm calling it a day. But Jesus wasn't like that. Jesus could have, again, from a human perspective, thought that this is an interruption to what I was doing. But he doesn't. This man comes out to Jesus. And when he saw Jesus, he calls him who he is. Because he says, what have I to do with thee, Jesus, thou Son of God, most high? I beseech thee, torment me not. You know, a lot of times people will say things like, I believe in God. Well, the devils believe. And it's pretty significant in this passage that they, they didn't want to be sentenced to the abyss. Because they know that's where they're headed eventually. Eventually, they'll be there with no point of return. The devil will be there with them. That's why the devil's having such a heyday Today, because he wants to take as many people as he can with him to eternal fire, to desolation. And so he casts them into swine, and the swine run off the cliff. And then the, the people get mad and they ask him to leave. They didn't even pay attention to the fact that the man was in his right mind. That he was clothed and in his right mind. That he was normal. And it just, it seems to be the way people are often when they encounter. The world will reason away the blessing of Jesus by coincidence. They will help somebody, and then they will say, I helped them. But oftentimes, it's the result of direct prayers that even the ungodly can help us. I remember, I think I even read it here, a story about a lady who prayed for an orange because she wasn't feeling well. And then an atheist who was on board her ship gave her two. And then later on, she said to him that she'd been praying for an orange and God gave her two. Because that was his mercy to her. And there's a lot here, and obviously we could dig 
far deeper. But that's one of my exciting things as a Bible teacher is my job is not to teach you everything in the Bible. But I hope that what these messages are doing they are getting you excited about the Bible. So that you can go back to these passages that I'm preaching and you can study it for yourself and you can dig up gems. And if you ever want to call me or write me an email and say, this is what I found here. I would love to hear from you. Because what I have to say isn't very important, but what God has to say is very important. And I'm humbled and grateful that I have an opportunity to share what he has said. But I know that you have insights as well. But the one thing I want to focus on here is the man says, I want to go with you, Jesus. I want to be with you. How many of us want to be with God? How many of us say, my primary goal today, and I know I need to get better at this too, my primary goal today is to be with Jesus. But here's what Jesus says. He says, return to your own house and show how great things God has done for you. And he went his way and published through the whole city how great things Jesus had done for him. Some of us are under the mistaken idea that we need to be great theologians, great Bible scholars to proclaim the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We think it's only done in the pulpit. I did a, a blog post about this a while back, and I encourage you to go back and look it up. But it was about how everybody has an opportunity to preach by the way they live their lives, to preach the gospel. And I can give you Bible truth all day long. But it's when you hear a true story of someone walking beside you that has applied these truths, that has heard these truths, that has believed these truths in their own life, that it becomes real. There's nothing more powerful to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ than the story of what God has done So don't ever think that you fall short of being able to preach the gospel. And Jesus tells this man, go tell the great thing that God has done for you. And he went and proclaimed it to his whole city. We see the same thing with the woman at the well. She says, come, see this man who told me everything I ever did. And this is a great many Samaritans believed on him because of her testimony. How powerful that is. I just wanted to share this final story in a way of 
showing us God's power and his ability to orchestrate what happens in our lives. Because he is in charge. He's going to orchestrate his plan with or without you, so what a blessing it is to be a part of it. I think that's people's biggest stumbling block when it comes to the gospel. They don't want someone else to tell them what they should do. They see obedience as a burden instead of a blessing because obedience really keeps us from the dangers that we've been into. When I was little, I lived on a one-way street cul-de-sac of sorts. So I would often cross the street because there weren't very many cars there, so I thought, oh, this is cool, I can cross the street and go back whenever I want. And my parents uh, disciplined me because they said, you can't keep doing that because you never know when there's going to be cars. And the thing is, they weren't trying to keep me from the other side of the street. They were trying to keep me safe. And God's the same way. He says, if, I, if you being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more shall your Father in Heaven give good gifts to those who ask Him? He wants to give us good gifts. I'm going to close with this story. And we'll close in prayer. In U.S. Naval Institute proceedings, the magazine of the Naval Institute, Frank Koth illustrates the importance of obeying the laws of the lighthouse. Two battleships assigned to the training squadron had been at sea on maneuvers in heavy weather for several days. I was serving on the lead battleship and was on watch on the bridge as night fell. The visibility was poor with patchy fog, so the captain remained on the bridge, keeping an eye on all activities. Shortly after dark, a lookout on the wing reported, light bearing on the starboard bow. Is it steady or moving astern? The captain called out. The lookout replied, steady, captain, which meant we were on a dangerous collision course with the ship. The captain then called to the signalman, signal the ship, we are on a collision course, advise you to change your course 20 degrees. Back came the signal, advisable for you to change your course 20 degrees. The captain said, send, I am a captain, change course 20 degrees. I am a seaman second class, came the reply, you had better change your course 20 degrees. By that time, the captain was furious. He spat out, send, I am a battleship, change course 20 degrees. Back came the flashing light, I'm a lighthouse. We changed course. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. And his desire for us is that we would be lights to the world. That we would show forth his glory. That we would do his will. That we would bring many others with us. The Bible says in Proverbs, he who winneth souls is wise. 
I always found that interesting because I wonder what that meant to the writer of Proverbs. I'm not exactly sure, but even in Proverbs, even in the Old Testament, it was known that he who winneth souls is wise. And if it wasn't for the lighthouse in my life, I would be a wreck. I've had a lot of challenges physically, emotionally, but God hasn't given up on me. And he hasn't given up on you either. He's right there, wanting to help you, wanting to make a difference in your life. Wanting to put you in your right mind. Wanting to clothe you in his righteousness. Wanting to send you forth as an ambassador of his to the world. And perhaps wanting you to stay in your neighborhood where you are and impact your neighbors. Will you do it? That's a question we all need to ask. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, what a wonderful privilege it is to be under the sound of your word again today, to see the power of Jesus Christ manifested both in nature and over demons. And what a humbling thing it is that with all that power that he had, he still allowed himself to be nailed to a cross. Still allowed himself to be beaten beyond recognition. Still allowed himself to be mocked and scorned. And yet at the end of the day, he said, Father, into thy hands I commit my spirit. And when he breathed his last, it was a turning point in all of history. To the point for 2015 years we've been living in the year of our Lord. We don't know how many years you have left for us on this earth. We pray that however many they are, they will be filled with you and filled with reaching out to others in your name. We pray this in Jesus' name and for his sake, the risen Savior. Amen.